Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, is our, our scripture reading this morning. Fourth commandment. What I want you to notice as I read, I mean, the two commands are nearly identical, but they ground the commands in two completely different um, reasons. We'll see that first. What is it grounded in Exodus chapter 20? Well, here we are. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And what, is he, uh, what does he do here in Deuteronomy chapter 5? Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your servant, nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So where we're going, Sabbath rest is an act of creation. Sabbath rest is an act of redemption. And Sabbath rest, the deep kind of uh, Sabbath rest that we're called to, is an act of, it's a response of profound trust. In the Lord. Uh, Exodus 20, it obviously ties this, this rest to the rest that God has at the end of creation, the creation uh, week. Kids would ask this kind of question. It's a question that I think adults, when we're going through the story, we, we quickly pass over. The question being, what does it mean for God to rest? We're so familiar with the passage, we burn right through that. What does it mean for God to rest? I mean, we know what it means for humans to rest. We rest because of our physical limitations, our our mental limitations. But what does it mean for, for God, who doesn't share those same kinds of experiences, for him to rest? I think the answer, it gives us kind of a hint for how we're to approach the Sabbath. The answer is that it's a rest of satisfaction and not a rest of fatigue. The rest of God in creation is a rest of contentment and not a rest of fatigue. We actually get hints of it in the story. I've been covering this in fourth and fifth and sixth grade Sunday school, how at the end of each of the creation days, God sort of steps back, he surveys the work of his hands, and he pronounces it, Good. So days one, two, three, four, and five, he stops at the end of the day and says, good. Day six, he stops and he says, 
Very good. And day seven is really the culmination of his, this entire process of stepping back and, and being satisfied. I, I liken it to kind of, if you imagine Da Vinci at the end of his painting of the Mona Lisa, he, he doesn't put the paint and the brushes down on the easel panting out of exhaustion, like, oh, oh, oh I'm, I'm resting, I'm done. Da Vinci he steps back and he looks at the, the final work and he says, man, that is, that is good. It's the rest of satisfaction. And what God is doing on the seventh day, he's devoting an entire 24 hours to relishing the bonanza of all that he has created. That is what he's calling us to do. Now, when we think of Shabbat, the word, the Hebrew word for, for stop, we immediately think of the cessation of work. And of course, that's a very important part of it. You've got to cordon off this portion, this 24-hour portion of your week where you say, I'm going to stop. But there's also this twin element of, of delighting, of relishing. And those are ca- uh, captured in Isaiah chapter 58, verses thir- verse 13, where he says that if you will keep your feet from transgressing the Sabbath as they please, and if you will call the Sabbath a delight. And there's the two twin elements. Shabbat, stop, and delight. Sabbath is about delighting the beauty of the world that he has made, savoring the family and friends that he has given us, delighting in the, the, the mercies of uh, the gospel that we get to meditate on for 24 full hours. If you go back and actually count up the number of Sundays that you get, if you were to take Sabbath every Sunday as it comes along, you end up having basically over a seven-week vacation built into, into your schedule. Of not merely, not just simply seven weeks of, of stopping and ceasing from your labor, but seven weeks of, of relishing all that, that he's given you. Another feature of the narrative that stood out to me this week, I'd never seen this before, I thought it was really cool, is how Adam gets created on what day? He's created on the sixth day, right? So the, the very first full day of Adam's life is, is Sabbath. Like Adam, we tend to think that Sabbath is kind of like a, a job well done reward for a, a good hard week's worth of work, but actually... Sabbath is a gift at the very beginning before he's ever even lifted, lifted a weight, ever plowed a field, ever done anything. God gives him this gift of, of Sabbath as just a pure gift <laughs> that, that if he wants to, he can unwrap and make his own. Uh, so I don't know, I love that. This, this first full day of, of man's life on earth starts out with this gift of rest. It's not originally a reward for Adam having been productive. It's actually a reward for God having been productive on Adam's behalf. And that becomes the starting point for the week ahead. Good stuff. Why is it that the uh, incorporating Sabbath into our life rhythm is so difficult? We talk a lot about work-life balance, but I, I prefer really the language of rhythm. How do we create this, 
not create it. But how do we learn this rhythm? I mean, the reason a drummer and percussionist can play so well back here is because he's got an internal sense of rhythm. I mean, he, he feels it, but we don't feel it. The, the rhythm is so out of whack inside of us, and there are a number of different reasons why. I mean, number one, job security in America today is not what it used to be. Probably job security in Boise is not all that great. If you don't produce, there's probably 15 other people in line waiting to take your spot. The, The insecurity kind of sends us out of alignment. Another reason why we're out of whack, I can't prove this, but I really believe that um, that our hobbies demand more of us today than they did 30 years ago. Certainly our kids' sports careers <laughs> demand more of us today. I know that when I, my dad talks about running track and playing baseball and basketball back in the 19, what would that have been, the 1950s, it's just so different than, than sports is, uh, the role of sports in our in American life today. And I have a feeling that our hobbies are similar that way. They, we go after and it more intensely pursue our hobbies yeah, more than we ever have before. And another factor is technology. The fact that we can work just about anywhere in the world means that we end up working always <laughs> everywhere we go. The fact that we have the technology that we do is, is wonderful, but becomes very difficult to unplug from our jobs. My point being that it takes a lot of discipline to learn Sabbath. Most of us do not downshift mentally or emotionally or physically very easily. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline. I would say to you this, that if you don't have anybody that you're accountable to, to incorporate this into your life, you're probably not going to do it. Because it's so difficult if you don't have somebody who's kind of holding your feet to, hey, did you Sabbath? Um, It's probably not going to happen. It's critical that it does because we know what overwork does to the body, the effects of it, but we feel guilty when we try (laughs) to Sabbath. So that's number one. Number two, if creation is not merely, or Sabbath is not merely an act of creation, it's also an act of redemption. You you noticed in Deuteronomy 5 how the uh, author of the Pentateuch there, he he ties it to their being emancipated from slavery out of Egypt. The way that you knew that somebody was a slave in the ancient world, how how would you determine that? It's not like they had a tattoo on their shoulder. A slave was anybody who didn't get a day off. A slave was somebody who could not break free, not break away from their work. Israel wanted to make a statement in their society that we are a free, emancipated people. And we will never again be a society that exploits the worker. We are going to make sure that everybody gets the status of freedman or woman because everybody's going to get a a day off of work. Um, now, I read something this week. I thought, this is crazy. They actually have Sabbath elevators in modern you know, Tel Aviv, in modern Israel today. So that all of the buttons on the elevator are already pushed for you so that you won't do the work of having to 
flip a switch or push a button. Are we supposed to follow Sabbath like in that, that way? No, obviously, or at least I would say obviously not. We don't follow Sabbath the way that Israel, old or new, new uh, followed Sabbath. The formal specifics of the Jewish laws aren't binding on us, but the principle stands that if you can't break away from your work, you're a slave. You're, even if it's a self-imposed slavery, you are, you're a slave. You're a slave to what? That's a good question to ask. <laughs> what am I a slave to? Is it, am, am I a slave to my materialistic culture? Am I a slave to uh, my need for peer approval? A slave to my own insecurities? A slave to my ADD? <laughs> a slave to my... To, to meet my own standards of, of success. But if you can't put it down, if you can't walk away, if you, can, if you can't stop answering the emails for 24 hours, I know how it works. You say, well, it's just going to take me 30 seconds. But that's, it never just takes 30 seconds. But you're, you've, can't you break away? You need to break away. I wonder if it's if our unwillingness to break away is because we feel the fear, the vulnerability that comes with breaking away. For example, as Israel is out in the wilderness and they have nations, hostile nations that are surrounding them, and Israel takes one day off of seven, what are the other nations of the world in that time, what are they doing on Sabbath? They're... they're doing exactly what they were doing the other six days of the week, which means building their armies, forging their swords, feathering their arrows. Sabbath, if you're a little tiny people group and you're surrounded by enemies, Sabbath means that you're vulnerable because the other guy is getting ahead while you're kind of sitting on your hands. Another factor of it is, is Sabbath means that it's got to take, you've got to be able to do everything in six days. So plant the crops, harvest the crops, water the crops, tend to the animals. Sabbath means that you basically have to trust six days will be enough for me economically. Is, will, will six days really be enough? Will, will I avoid military catastrophe or economic catastrophe? You feel the vulnerability, don't you? I think that in some of our career fields, the question is pretty much the same. It's, if I heed this cycle of Sabbath rest, is it going to set me too far behind? How great of a disadvantage will I be at uh, if, I, if I follow this? I can't remember the interview, but Bill Gates a few years back, he said that from the year 1978 to the year 1984, six years he took off six days total. He said, I I took off six days in six years. Why? Well, because my competition wasn't taking any time. You think that they're, they're in China taking one day out of seven off? No. And you do the calculations. What is one divided by seven? Turns out to be 14.28%. 
And Bill Gates says, in effect, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but why, why would I want to lose out on 15% of my life and kind of give it to non-productivity? When the competition is getting bigger, faster, stronger, making more main, money, gaining an advantage, that, that sounds like the loser thing to do. <laughs> and so really the question is, is six days, how are you going to overcome the disadvantage of losing out on 15% of the pie? That's one of the great parts of the fourth commandment. You will notice that he, the guy just gives us the commandment, but he never explains how it's all going to work out. He never goes through the details of saying, well, here's how, you're, here, here's how I'm going to make it all, all fit together. Here's how you won't uh, face economic or military catastrophe. Here's how I will make up for all the disadvantages of, of missing. He just says, do it and trust me. I thought, okay, well, what are, I don't think too many of us in Boise are facing military disadvantage <laughs> when we take Sabbath. What kind of disadvantages does the typical Boisean face? And I think it's, it's um, I mean, the typical Boisean schedule is you work Monday through Friday till 5, and then Friday at 5, all the way through Saturday and through most of the day, uh, part of Sunday, you end up doing what? Camping! Biking, fishing, soccering, playing. I mean, do you realize that if you take Sabbath seriously, you will be at a leisure disadvantage, which in our culture is probably one of the biggest disadvantages in the world. Your kids will be at a sports career disadvantage if you basically say, you know, I can't, I can't spend all my Saturday doing this. Uh, there are some house chores that still need to get done. And if you decide that I'm not going to carry house chores or getting ready for Monday and the week ahead, I'm not carrying that into my Sunday, you're, you're going to be at, at a disadvantage. Will God really provide? So, as I was saying, the fourth commandment doesn't explain how God is going to overcome all of it. It's a profound act of trust in saying, Lord, you know best. Lord, you are God and I am not. Like when you are feeling guilty about taking the entirety of Sunday off, you need to remind yourself, like say triumphantly to yourself that I, I am a free man and I'm not a slave and I'm not going to be a slave. I'm not going to be a slave today. I'm not going to be a slave to my phone. I'm not going to be you, I think you get the point. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday that we uh, cover. This is the last Sunday in our sermon series on the integration of work and, and faith into the marketplace. At the beginning, the very first one I preached, I said I would be happy to answer any questions that you know you sent to me. I got a grand total of one email. <laughs> Questions that were asked, and it happened to be on this topic, so here we go. Brad, I've always wondered why some people in denominations avoid any type of work or any extracurricular activities on Sundays. As you know, this was a central theme in the movie, the true story, Chariots of Fire. Eric Liddell, he refuses to run in the Olympic finals when he learns the race will be on Sunday because of his religious convictions. What are we, what are we to think 
uh, about that? That's a good question. As you study the issue, you find that there's a wide variety of approaches within different Christian traditions on like how tight we should be in keeping Sabbath or how, how broad we, we should be. So Eric Liddell's tradition happened to be kind of our extended tradition, Scottish Presbyterian tradition. And a Scots, Scot, a Scots Presbyterian, I can't even do it, right, uh, um, would not, yeah, they... Like, if you were a, a star high school quarterback and you were a Scotch, Scotch Presbyterian, you would, Scotch Presbyterian, is that right? No, a Scott Presbyterian, you would not go on to play in the NFL because that's, that's not work that ought to be performed on the Sabbath day. The only work that they would see that was reasonable would be your works of pure necessity. So you're a doctor an uh, uh, emergency room doc, or you're a firefighter, or you're a, a policeman. But I mean, our brothers and sisters, very conscientious brothers and sisters, would say that's where the line needs to be drawn. Um, okay, the question goes on. So what kind of work is being prohibited in Exodus chapter 20? Surely it's not a sin to mow your lawn on a Sunday afternoon, Right? Well, actually, I went to a seminary that definitely held that it was a sin to mow your lawn on Sunday. There was only one professor that I knew of in the place who was willing, we thought he was a rebel. (laughs) Knox Chamlin, professor of New Testament, and Dr. Chamlin was the only guy who we knew that would mow his lawn on on Sunday. You know, rebel without a cause. um, With these Sabbath questions... uh, Wisdom is essential. We come to the scriptures with so many questions that the scriptures don't specifically address. And you know, wisdom is the ability to wisely apply biblical principles wherever you have a situation where the, the lines aren't clearly drawn and where things aren't perfectly black and white. Wisdom is essential and keeping a clear conscience is essential. It's so essential that if, if I draw the line here um, and that's more narrow or, or tighter than where you draw the line, uh, it's so essential that, that I don't go against my conscience but I actually follow it. And uh, we should never be trying to push each other across our lines and cause ourselves to do something contrary to, to conscience. The wisdom that I've been given that I think is really useful when it comes to the specific Sabbath day questions is I think we need to do we need to perform a mixture, a mixture of different types of rest on Sundays. I've been persuaded that it is wise to pursue avocational rest, contemplative rest, aesthetic rest, service rest, and then sheer inactivity rest. Avocational, contemplative, what was it? Uh, aesthetic, what was it? Service, and just sheer inactivity. Avocational is kind of anything that we don't make our living at. I think it's legitimate if you enjoy biking, and you go outside, and biking is kind of your way to find 
you get on a bike and you start going on the green belt and, and you just take in the sheer wonder. It's, it's your way of stepping back at the end of the seventh day and just filling yourself, relishing, being deeply satisfied in God's work of creation. Then on Sunday afternoon, bike to the glory of God. Bike, bike in faith, unless you're a professional cyclist. In which case, you should do something else. And the same, I've heard the same is true with fishing. If you love to go out to the river, fish to the glory of God, unless you're a commercial fisherman. (laughs) In which case, do something else. And if you are a bikeaholic, or you're a a fishaholic, you you need to do something else, because you need a break from that. But I think there's something to be said about avocational rest, Contemplative rest is the type of rest I hope that we experience when we come to worship on Sundays. Contemplative rest can really be enhanced when you just go out for a prayer walk, I find. Go out and and pray or sit on your back porch and pray. Be silent and just, you need that time and space to recenter your soul on God. And probably it's the neglect of silence, the neglect of contemplation that's one of the, the really alien and lost parts of our modern world. Um, I said aesthetic rest. I mean, aesthetic rest is kind of captured in both of those. Just being outside or um, there's aesthetic rest and just sharing a great meal with people you love. The, the aesthetics of, of taste and smell and sound. But... Going back to the lawn mowing question, in my case, I love to to mow my yard. Mowing my yard is therapeutic. (laughs) Mowing, it's true. Uh, I just, I love, now if I lived on three and a half acres, I'm sure it wouldn't be all that therapeutic, but because I live in this little patch posted size, uh, stamp size lot, you know, I, I love to mow my grass. The real question, this is where we should go with it. Whatever activity is we're wrestling with, if it's appropriate or not appropriate on the Sabbath day, the question to ask is, does it fit the spirit of this day? Is this action capturing what God meant this day to be? If the reason that I'm mowing my grass on Sunday is because I spent the whole day of Saturday just playing, then that's, in my opinion, that's not a very good reason for me to be mowing the lawn. That's, we want to set this day apart as unique. We're, this is important. You set a day apart, not a weekend apart. Because that's the, the biblical pattern. I, Ray Orland, who's a pastor that I have a great deal of respect for, he says, he, he's meddling here, he says, I wonder if the very concept of the weekend is even biblical. It seems to me that the weekend often turns Sunday into a second Saturday where Home Depot may gain, but we lose. It turns, the weekend turns Sunday into a day to catch up on what we didn't do on Saturday or to ramp up for what's ahead of us still on Monday. The weekend marginalizes or can run the risk of marginalizing God and the church and other vital things. If we accept the concept of of living for the weekend, we risk fitting God into this little part of our life 
rather than centering our every week around God. No wonder we live soul-exhausted lives, wondering why God isn't more real to us, why we're so exhausted and so grumpy, and and so spiritually dry. Like I said, I mean, if you were to do Sabbath every Sunday, you end up getting over seven weeks of vacation, you know. The last thing, though, I would point out that Sabbath is not supposed to be 100% R&R. Sabbath should not be 100% relaxation. I have seen people who, who, who make this mistake, who collapse Sabbath into it's only about me receiving rest. Jesus, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, is it right for us to do good on the Sabbath, to save life, or to kill life? And the Pharisees, him and ha, like, we don't want to answer the question. But clearly, Jesus is saying that this day is reserved for, for doing some good, for really serving other people, uh, and for serving the Lord. I mean, let's be honest. Coming to church on Sunday mornings is not a complete act of relaxation. <laughs> it, it's not. And listening to a sermon takes a lot of effort and energy Singing, I mean, singing well and praying well, that takes a lot of effort. And so does inviting a family over to your house on, for Sunday lunch. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't walk away from that saying, ooh, that was easy. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them. <clears throat> but there is a rest, a, a refreshing rest of the soul knowing that I was able to promote life in somebody else through service. And it needs to be part of it. Every Sunday shouldn't involve like heavy taxing service, but, but some must. Finally, in conclusion, um, I want to point out to you that, and we've said this before, the Sabbath is the gospel in miniature. The Sabbath is the gospel of miniature. Just as on the Sabbath, we cease our work in order to rest in God, so in the gospel, we cease from our work in order to rest in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath you know, points us to our rest in Christ. Isn't that true? Is it, I love to go back to that earlier analogy with God on the seventh day stepping back and his rest is not the rest of fatigue, but it's the rest of Contentment and satisfaction. And that's what this is supposed to be for us with Jesus. It's 24 hours to step back and say, I am content with you. 15% of my life, I get to just exclusively focus on your cross and your resurrection and your gospel that's not 50% of the pie that I'm losing. I mean, that's glory. That's heaven. That's hallelujah. That's a foretaste. Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us of the eternal rest that is to come. And that's how every one of my weeks are supposed to begin. Just like Adam gets to unpack, unwrap that gift on his very first day of life. So we get to unwrap that gift the very first day of our week. So when we start our week with the Sabbath, we are saying that our lives are full in Christ. 
When we go to our works on Monday, we don't do so trying to fill a void that has nothing inside of it. We don't go to make a name for ourselves or to prove ourselves. We enter into our week with gratitude because we already have enough. And that enough is what's been accomplished by Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen.